You're listening to the Ed Up Worldwide podcast in partnership with the Star Scholars Network. I'm your host, Rajika Pandari, where each week I bring you my take on the intersections between education, culture, and migration. This podcast is inspired by my recent book, America Calling a Foreign Student in a Country of Possibility, which made me realize the fundamental role that education plays in connecting the world. These connections have become even more important over the past several years as countries and individuals have increasingly turned inwards and away from each other. Conversations about why education is important in opening our hearts and minds to the world have never been more important. Join me each week as we go behind the scenes for illuminating and deeply personal conversations with diverse global voices, international students, international education experts, migrants and immigrants, authors and artists, as we explore the varied ways in which the world connects through education. What does the international student experience look like in the US today? This is obviously a very broad question with many different nuances to it. But in today's episode, we look at what this experience has felt like in recent years. Framed by the forces of the pandemic, the rising social justice movement globally, and the political and social environment that has not always felt friendly to international students. It's also been a time when international students in the US have turned to each other as never before, drawing support from a shared experience and coming together and organizing in ways that provide a sense of community, but that also give voice to their needs and interests. My guest today is Arian Di Rosario, and I can think of no better person with whom to discuss these issues. Though we are quite a few generations apart, like me, Aryan was born in New Delhi, India. He received a BA in politics from the University of California, Santa Cruz, which is when I first got to know him. While at UCSC, Aryan was no ordinary international student. He was living, both living the life of an international student at the individual level, but also served for two years as the undergraduate representative on the university's Committee on International Education, which looked at matters related to international education on campus, including the allocation of resources for international education, the recruitment of international students, and their status and well being. Aryan graduated from UCSC last year and is now an international student again, but starting out in a different country this time. He's working on a master's at the University of Oxford in England, where his thesis will look at political views among anglicized elites in Narendra Modi's India. Aryan, welcome to the first season of the Ed Up Worldwide podcast. Thank you very much, Rajika. It's a it's a pleasure to be here. Wonderful. So you know, let's let's dive right in. Um, as I mentioned while introducing you, you just began a master's program at Oxford University last fall. How is that going? I have to ask. It's it's been an amazing experience. I I came here in in September, uh, right as the Delta wave was uh, you know peaked in Delhi, and so I was really excited to finally be 
going back into the world, you know, doing interesting new things in a totally different country. And it's it's just been amazing. I mean, I, I can say that I'm never bored. Uh, I have a lot to do and I have a lot to see. Uh, England is not a country I'm very familiar with. And so coming here was completely new for me. And just being a part of this fantastic academic environment at Oxford, where everyone is just so focused and so remarkable, uh, has really been, has, it's been fantastic. That's great to hear because your generation of students has certainly lived through a large part of this pandemic when so much has been disrupted for you and your studies. So it's really good to hear that things are going well. So with what you just said, it's a great segue into something I've been wanting to ask you about. So you mm -hmm. completed your undergraduate at an American university and are now pursuing a graduate degree in uh, the UK. And, you know, as, as someone who has studied these trends for so many years, um, my colleagues and I often also look at this sort of almost what we call a circularity of student mobility, that very often students will start out in a single country and then maybe even move on to a third country. And I think you're so well positioned to share your views on this. So, so I want to ask you why the UK? Well, of course, I know it's Oxford. So <laughs> I think Oxford and Cambridge hold a special place. But even so, why the UK? And what would you say is similar or different about education when we compare it with the US? Well. Uh to answer your first question, why the UK? I, I didn't apply to many UK universities. I applied to Oxford and I applied to one more and I applied to a few in the States. Uh, but it reached a point where, you know, with everything going on with COVID, the fact that my family was back in India, I wanted to be closer to them. And when I got the offer from Oxford, it was, uh, I just couldn't say, no, you were right. It, it is a very prestigious institution. It does have a really good academic community. And so I thought it would be a perfect fit for me. And I don't think I was wrong. Uh, in terms of the differences between America and the UK, uh, I think what made me apply to the UK was the fact that they all speak English. Yeah? So that's one similarity that was really important. Uh, the second was that the education system is fairly, um, it's fairly similar to the US and it's also fairly similar to India system. Uh, coming here kind of reminded me of the CBSE board in India, the Central Board of Secondary Education. There are a lot of similarities. You don't have many exams throughout the year. You have the exams all at the end here in the UK, which is just, just what we had back home in India, at least in my school. Uh, in the US, you have uh, exams spread out and the terms are kind of uh, are permanent. You know, When you start the term and end the term, you're basically ending that course. You don't have work to do over the vacation period. Over here, the course is full year. So even when you're on vacation, you're technically still a student full-time and you're still studying, writing assignments, doing all of that. I think the biggest difference that I encountered was um, a little bit of a culture shock. I think England and America are very similar in many ways. Uh, their peoples are similar, but in university culture, there's a lot more formality in the US than there is in the UK. 
Uh, simple things, simple things like uh, referring to professors by their titles in America. That's something that I always did in my undergrad institution. Over here, that's thrown out of the window. You can call professors by their first name. They'll be more than happy if you call them by their first name. That, that small little difference was extremely weird for me to adjust to when I first came here. Uh, I think another difference is the academics are a little bit more hands-off. Uh, you know, you're, you don't really get a syllabus as such. You're given work, but you're expected to do that work on your own. If you want help, you can always reach out for help. But at the end of the day, you attend lecture and then you do your own work at your, in your own time. In America, it's much more hands-on. You know, professors encourage you to communicate with them, come to their office hours, uh, talk to them about your problems, about uh, what you think about the material, everything. Over here, it's, it's a lot more lecture and then you're on your own. If you need help, you can email, but that's not really the norm here. So you really have to be independent. And I think American institutions are not like that. I think they're, they're a bit of an extension of high school in that sense. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's a familiar kind of transition for American high school students when they come to college, because it's, it's very similar in terms of the rules and how they're expected to behave, how they're expected to address their coursework. So those are some of, some of the differences that I've encountered. Those are some really interesting observations. I guess the one that I'm most surprised about is what you sort of described as the formality or a sense of formalness of uh, academic culture on campus, because I would have imagined it to be quite the opposite, because when one thinks of the British and the UK, one assumes that, as with many things, there's much more ritual and tradition than formality. So I'm, I'm really intrigued to hear that. Um, yeah. That's very interesting. Just to quick follow-up question on this note uh, would you say and I, and I know you've only been there a few months so it may well be too early to to make an assessment but do you feel that as an international student there's been something different about your experience in the UK I know you're only a few months in but ha has there been anything different either in the reception to you as a student um, from India or in other ways that's been different from the US? That, that's a really interesting question. Uh, I, I'm not too sure actually. I think I was given a wonderful reception in the sense that we were all welcomed. We were all um, put through a lot of orientation exercises and meetings and uh, networking events and things like that. And that was very similar to what, what I did in the US as well. But I think uh, the UK and especially Oxford has a very large Indian community. And so there wasn't really any sort of amazement at Indian students on campus. It, it's really seen as an everyday thing because we, we're just so many of us. And I think the diversity here is much richer than what I saw on American campuses. And I think the reason for that is Oxford is such an internationally known university is that they attract students from everywhere, from the far corners of the earth. I've met people here from nationalities that I never met in the United States. So in that sense, the, diverse, the, the diversity aspect was already here when I came. And so it was a very comfortable uh, transition. 
and it was comfortable in the US as well. I think they were both very comfortable. There's a very large Indian community in California as well, even larger than, than here in Oxford, I think. So in that sense, I didn't really see a difference. Uh, but I think they do, um, in America, the way they treat international students, from my experience, is a bit better in the sense that we are given that that role of an international student. We are identified as international students. Over here, there's not much emphasis on internationalization of education, on international student welfare, things like that. Because I think the UK has experienced that for so many, so many generations, is that they don't feel the need to really pay specific attention to international students. Here in the UK, I don't feel like I'm in a separate category. In the US, there was always that category because people knew that you were an international student or you know you had the international welfare office here at oxford i don't even know whether we have an international student welfare office i haven't bothered to check because i've just never heard about it it's not talked about so i think in that aspect there is some difference in the sense that american universities i guess are a bit new to internationalization maybe not the ivy leagues but some of the other uh, lower tier universities are definitely new to it so their their outreach is just beginning in the last 10 20 years but in the UK, I think they've been exposed to international students since the days of empire. And so I don't think that's really something that's uh, concentrated upon here. That's a really great point. And I think you really sort of point to this dilemma, right? That when you um, make someone special or you put them in a special category that has its positives and its negatives, and I think one of the challenges, so, so I think the good part of what you said is that it is true that when, you know, when you look at global surveys of international students, one of the areas in which the U.S. always comes out at the top as a destination is, um, is uh, how campuses support international students. But on the flip side, there is a real concern now on how to really make sure that international students are fully integrated um, into, into the campus body and that they're first and foremost that institution student and not not an international student. So, so let's um, so let's continue with sort of talking about your time on a campus in the U.S. And one of the parts that I'm very interested about is that you were very active in organizations and committees that focused on international students. And for those of us who sit on the outside we don't often have a lens into how international students organize on campus or how they're advocating for themselves and their interests. So talk to us a little, little bit about what does this look like at the institutional level and then also anything that you can share about what this might look like at the national level across the US. Well, I mean, I think for your part of the question where you spoke about organizing as international students, as far as my campus was concerned, we didn't organize. There was no such thing. I think we were all, I mean, I think for the first two years, I didn't even know that there was a committee on international education at my campus. I only found out about it, I think by chance, I was looking through the website and I saw this committee and I saw that there was no undergraduate representative. And I realized, well, I should just go ahead and apply. And so I did. 
And I joined that committee and then I realized how helpful it was being on that committee because you really uh, get a look inside what's going on at the institutional level. You look at what people in the academic Senate, people in the vice chancellor's office are discussing, how they're approaching different issues. And when I was there, it was an extremely important time because we had uh, the presidency of, of Donald Trump uh, and we had COVID. And so these two uh, events really affected international students, really affected anyone who was a foreigner in America because they had to navigate a totally unexpected situation. One with, with Donald Trump's election and two with COVID, which was completely unforeseen. Uh, and so when I was on the committee, I really tried very hard to speak to international students. In the sense, I tried to get a sense of what they were thinking, what they were feeling, um, you know, what they were struggling with. But at the end of the day, I don't think I made it very far with them. I don't think there was any sort of sense of community among us international students. It was more uh, divided on the line on the lines of which country you came from. You had an, a very powerful, very large Indian Student Association. You had a Chinese Student Association. You had all of these various groups, and a lot of them were predominantly international students, but a lot of them were also Americans of Indian descent or Americans of Chinese descent. So you had that mix. So it was very difficult to kind of go to one place where you could meet all international students. It was very difficult to know where international students would be because they were so well uh, integrated into campus life in America that you didn't really know where to look. And I, I didn't have access to any sort of uh, database or any sort of list that would give me an idea of who was an international student and who wasn't. So I was kind of on my own. Uh, I did reach out to many students who I knew were international and I kind of used them as a bouncing board for ideas. But I really wish I had more, I really wish I had more communication with my uh, constituents for lack of a better word. As far as the committee was concerned, I'm really glad I applied to be on the committee because they did not have a student representative for the longest time. And I guess maybe because they didn't advertise the position well enough, but the committee in itself was extremely, extremely helpful in understanding how universities look at international students. And they are very, very concerned about international students. They're very invested and they want to do right by them. And on the committee, we were often in a position where we would get an early preview into what the vice chancellor's office or what the board at the University of California was deciding when it came to the internationalize, internationalization of education. And so I was sitting there listening to all of this and I was able to give my input, which I think was extremely important. And I also learned a lot about how these things are kind of decided. And what I learned was that international students didn't know that they had this sort of representation. They knew they had a welfare office, which was a really helpful welfare office. They knew they had counselors they could talk to. They knew that there was a vice chancellor for international engagement. They did not know that there was a committee for international education, which actually had a lot of influence over all of these other offices. And so when COVID hit, when COVID hit and when international students were faced with travel bans, with these new travel restrictions, uh, with lockdown, then they didn't know what to do because a lot of them you know, were 
you know, they, they really didn't know what to do when these lockdowns came into place, whether to leave the country, whether to stay in the country, whether they would have any support if they did stay in the country. And that's when the committee really sprung into action. You know, I remember we wrote letters to our uh, representatives, we wrote letters to senators in California. Uh, we were constantly in uh, talks with the office of the vice chancellor for international engagement, and we really got a lot achieved. We really did help those international student community through those tough times. And I think that going forward, these kind of institutional arrangements will be extremely important. Because even though we, we are in a globalized world, we're also seeing a bit of a backtracking when it comes to globalization. We are seeing uh, international students being a little bit more hesitant to, to take that gamble of going abroad. Especially, I think in, in India now, you have such good institutions in major cities that a lot of students don't really see the point, especially with COVID, especially with uh, a lot of you know, nativist sentiments rising in the West, they don't really see the need to go immediately to other countries. And so I think international student committees and institutions can really help, uh, can really help communicate with students one-on-one -on -one and give them the advice they need when they come here and also before coming. And in there, I think is some great, uh, there's some great takeaways for institutions who might not have such committees already in place, but with what you're describing to me, it, it, it also is, so, so, the, so there's sort of two parts to it. There's, there's the, how students do, international students do or do not organize themselves in, in terms of their own groups and associations versus committees set up by a campus that draws upon people from different backgrounds, including faculty and students and others who are coming together to have a sh shared goal around internationalization or international education. So I think th those are some really important um, takeaways there. And with what you were describing, it was almost on sort of the student organizing part of it was almost reminiscent of um, the early 1900s when, in fact, international students were much more organized across U.S. campuses. And maybe that was also possible because their numbers were so small. And now when we look at the sheer popu large population of international students, as you rightly said, many of them are completely woven into the fabric of higher education in the US that identifying 10,000 versus over a million are two very, very different, uh, uh, different things. Um, so I know you touched upon this uh, about how students in India are feeling right now, but just to go back to that piece for a moment, what are you hearing on the ground right now? What is the sentiment amongst young Indian students? Um, I know you've you've been out for a few years, first in first in the U.S. and now in the U.K. But what about the generation that's now getting ready to complete high school and looking to college or even older students looking to uh, do their graduate studies abroad? What's the sentiment like? I mean, I know you, you said that they're really re, re, rethinking things. So maybe tell us just a little bit more about that, because I think Indian students um, 
are always on on everybody's radar, obviously, because along with Chinese students, they are one of the largest uh, group of mobile students around the world. So everyone's watching to see what happens with Indian students. So what are you hearing right now on the ground? Well, well, you know, I have I have a younger brother and he's in the 12th grade right now. So he's graduating in March once his uh, central board examinations are over. And so I've been I've been talking to him. I've been talking to a lot of his friends and they all want to go abroad. I think that's something that is so ingrained in the Indian psyche from such a young age that the best universities are abroad. So you should make every effort to do well in your studies so that you can get admission and maybe even a scholarship to go abroad because cost is a huge factor. And I think that's the that's the only thing where that's the only factor that sometimes makes students rethink their choices. I mean, I know of uh, people who, who are friends with me here at Oxford and they have siblings who are applying to institutions abroad. And a lot of them tell me that the main problem is whether or not they'll get a scholarship. And when it comes to scholarships, American universities are far better and far more generous than UK institutions. So a lot of people want to go to America because America is where the money is and America is also where the, there's a lot more opportunities. And you can see that, that the UK is, is realizing this and a lot of uh, talk in the UK government has been to make the visa system a little bit more easier so that international students can stay on after graduating and work for a few years and you know, have a path to residency. The UK is doing that right now. But students know that America is where they're going to get the scholarships, where they're going to get larger grants, and where they also have the opportunities to work, you know, in Silicon Valley, uh, in tech fields, for example. And I mean, just today, I think the University of Chicago increased their grad student stipend from around, uh, I think it was $20,000 to it's now $39,000 a year. So for people looking to do a master's degree or a PhD, at the University of Chicago, they're gonna go for it because in the UK, the stipend is still stuck at 15,000 pounds, which is around $20,000. It's hardly anything to live on. From a lot of students that I know here in the UK who are doing their master's degrees and who are planning on doing a doctorate or a PhD, they wanna to go to the US. They, they've come to the realization that UK universities are not as generous. They don't have enough money. They don't have enough funding. They may have prestige, uh, but they don't have the money to offer. US universities do. And I think that's something that everyone, everyone agrees on, at least people like me who are looking at these institutions and considering where to apply. Uh, in terms of uh, back home in India, I think, especially for, for Delhi schools, and because I'm from Delhi, I can really speak to the attitudes in Delhi a bit better than anywhere else. We have a lot of universities now in India that are kind of that have kind of uh, hung on to this internationalization aspect. A lot of private institutions like Ashoka University, Jindal University, and these are large institutions that offer an American education in India. They have partnerships with the best universities in America. I think Jindal has a partnership with Cornell, and so their students have the opportunity. Uh, to go to Cornell for a semester. And so they can get that internationalization aspect um, at a quarter of the price if they stay home in India. 
and they can do their bachelor's degree there and then they can maybe go for a master's abroad because a master's is a much shorter program and so the costs are not as high as if you know, doing an undergraduate degree and so i think these these things you know are on people's minds especially with parents I mean, parents think about these things as well i know my parents are certainly thinking about what's the best path for my brother he has his own ideas but they have their own ideas as well and that practicality of should he maybe go to an indian institution first and then go abroad for a masters or a higher uh, level degree or should he go straight abroad what's the benefit what's the cons and so people are thinking about these things i don't think people are have given up on international education because at the end of the day there are only a handful of indian institutions that are prestigious or good enough for these students to actually apply to many gifted students have to look abroad because they just don't have enough options at home and so america and the uk countries where they speak english i think you can even add australia into the mix these countries are always going to be on the radar of children graduating and who want to go abroad or who have the means to go abroad because money is the most important factor yeah and so america is calling right and yes that 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 is uh, i i say that jokingly because yes that's that's the title of indeed the title of my book um but i think aryan you so beautifully described the complexity of the decision making of indian students and families and i think one thing is clear that when we just look at the sheer size of the youth population or india's demographic dividend as it's called and how much that population is slated to grow i think we're going to see both of these trends playing out we're going to continue to see these competing forces at play that students will seek out the much better opportunities that exist at home now through many of the institutions you mentioned um certainly many of them ashoka shivnadar op jindal global kriya um several of them but at the same time they will continue to also go abroad because it's going to be a long time before india will have enough high quality seats and i think that's that's the focus right the high quality seats absolutely. to serve everybody's needs yeah absolutely and i i just wanted to say one more thing since you you mentioned ashoka you know shivnadar and jindal is that there is a joke uh and i'm sharing this because it's it's a very telling joke that these universities in india these private institutions are a one way ticket to abroad uh, i mean there's a saying at oxford that if you go to ashoka you're most likely going to land up at oxford or cambridge because it's a one way train so well, you know these i don't know how true it is but that's that's the joke among students that you have that option but one could also argue that that has been the case for many of india's top institutions over the past several decades right when we look yes. at the outflow of uh, students from the iits and um most other indian elite institutions and even Absolutely. the elite public institutions as well 
many of those students have uh, chosen to to come abroad and hence when 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 we look at that whole outflow from the iits it's often also framed within the whole issue of brain drain that so much of that yes. talent has uh, has chosen to go overseas so i would argue that it's it's continuing maybe from from now from an expanded pool of uh, yeah. of uh, universities um so i want to switch tracks a little bit because i know that when we spoke about some of these issues when i interviewed you for my book i was very struck about our conversation um, and in fact we had that conversation right around the time that was as you said earlier in um uh, said a few minutes earlier was really at the point at the peak of the pandemic and there was a lot happening in the us politically nationally um with the pandemic but it was also the peak of the black lives matter movement and one of the issues that i think a lot about and that we talked a lot about is um identity and that when we come to the us as students we are not just coming from a certain country we are also potentially bringing with us our identities as a group that's seen as a minority perhaps as a minority group in the us i know that for me it was also being a uh, being a woman so it was sort of in my book i talk about that as sort of a triple or cumulative disadvantage so um my question to you is what are your thoughts on the racial dynamics that surround international students in the us and what did the black lives matter movement mean to you personally as a student from india and what do you think it's meant for your fellow international students i think it was a very important time to be in the us it was it just made me at least realize that you know the perfect democracy that america is often um, advertised as to us abroad to us in developing countries is not always the case it's not always true uh, you know we we knew growing up in india that we were an imperfect democracy we had our challenges but we always seemed to look to the west as the ideal as you know the west is where everything is actually democratic where people actually have equality and you know they have much more opportunities there and when i came to the us um, and i was coming as a student who didn't really know much about american history i didn't know much about the civil rights movement and i didn't know much about the the realities of life as a black american and when i came to the us uh and when the black lives movement started that's when i was finally confronted with a lot of new ideas a lot of new statistics a lot of new facts about the lives of minorities in the us and you just realize that you know it's civil rights is not something that was won yes it was won substantially by martin luther king junior but it's it's something that that is not complete it's only been won you know in not in whole measure but only substantially and so there's a long way to go uh and you know when when we were having these this issue of black lives matter especially on campuses we had a I had a lot of we had a lot of protests on my campus as well as well as in the city i was living in at the time uh 
other minorities also started realizing their positionality in relation to the Black Lives Matter movement. I remember that uh, I was a member of the Indian Student Union and the Indian Student Union, uh, we had a meeting where it was decided that we would lend our support to the black students on campus as well as to black people in America more broadly, about what they were going through when it came to police brutality uh, and, and issues like that. And so a lot of other minorities started supporting uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. And I think coming from India, you know, we're, we're, we're often faced with multiple identities from where we come from. In India, you have um, the city you come from, the state you come from, uh, what caste you come from, what religious background you come from. And these are uncomfortable you know, topics to perhaps talk about, but they're there. And perhaps we should talk about them. You know, caste is an important issue. Religion is an important issue, especially as you know, globalization is kind of on the back foot. These issues become even more important. And when students from other countries come to America, they come with a certain expectation that in America, there will be equality. Everyone will be on the same page. But that's not always the case. I mean, you can look at how, uh, how controversial the topic of caste has become in America. You had the California State University system add, add caste discrimination to their uh, you know, policies. And that's received a backlash from many Indian students, many Indian faculty, and many Indian organizations in the US. And so it's, it's, becoming, it's becoming an important topic that I think international students are also having to deal with as they come to the US. Because naturally, when they come, they will get involved in these discussions, because these discussions concern them. They will become members of certain organizations. Uh, they will debate with each other. So I think the Black Lives Matter movement was just important because it made other minorities, like my minority as an Indian, think about race discrimination. And I, I remember when, when COVID first started, we were having a lot of incidents of racism against uh, Chinese and Asian American students on campus. Uh, there was an incident, I think, at, on my campus and we don't know whether it was a student involved or whether it was not a student who literally um, you know, screamed a racial slur at a Chinese American student. And you know, this was just, it was just unheard of. It was unthinkable, but these things happen every single day, but we just never thought about it because we did not have this existential crisis unfolding before us like the COVID-19 pandemic, where you had people in power saying that Chinese people must be held responsible, you know, for some of this. And that really gave rise to a lot of racial anxiety. And so it just, it just makes you think that the movement for civil rights, the movement for social equality is not over. It's, it's a long drawn, drawn out process that started with Martin Luther King Jr. who started much before him, uh, you know, when um, uh, Abraham Lincoln passed the Emancipation Proclamation. But history tends to repeat itself. And we need to just educate ourselves a lot more so that we can prevent these incidents. We can prevent injustice from being repeated in the future. 
Some very powerful words there, um, Aryan. Again, we are talking with uh, Aryan D. Rosario, a former international student in the US and a current international student in the UK. And Aryan, you so beautifully laid out um, the experience for international students uh, when they come to the US, that it's both about opening their eyes to um, social justice or injustice issues in the new society they have entered, but it is also an opportunity to examine the biases that they themselves have brought um, into that setting and that are at play and that they are often um, complicit uh, in forms of discrimination that they may, may be complicit in back home or even in their new environment. So I certainly think that it was a time of uh, significant change uh, also for international students. So as we head towards the end of our episode, I want to go back to you as an individual and sort of move beyond you as a representative of international students. And so let's talk about your interests. You've clearly been drawn to the study of politics from your time as a student in the US. You also interned recently with the Vadwani Chair in US-India Policy Studies at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. So how has your time away from home and studying abroad shaped your learning and interests? that's it's it's a question i i think about every day you know as i progress forward in my own life and something that really struck me when i was thinking about such a, these these kind of questions because people ask me this every day you know how has how has your studies in america shaped you as an individual especially when i come back home uh, to india and i think the most profound effect it had on me is that it made me miss India a lot more. Uh, you know, when you when you go abroad, you go abroad with a lot of excitement that, you know, you want to achieve new things, you want to do new things, but you also get homesick and you also want to go back home. And it was only when I came to America that I really developed an interest in, in politics. Uh, you know, I was studying political science and I was studying those subjects in my undergrad course but I never really thought about Indian politics. You know, I never really thought about what was happening in India's parliament, but coming to America made me really think about those things. I wanted a deeper connection with my home country. And since I was so far away, uh, to keep track of politics was a way for me to keep in touch with what was going back, with what was going on at home. And so that's what I did. And I really sought out internships that kind of met my interests. Uh, over the last few years, we have been talking a lot about how America and India are natural partners in the world. Both of these, uh, you know, gigantic democracies uh, with, you know, open economies, you know, these two countries are really going to set the term for the next 200 years of global politics. And, you know, thinking about that made me look for internships in that kind of, in that field. So the Vadwani chair, you know, which works with state governments in India, uh, in the energy sector, in the business sector, was the perfect fit for me because I was really interested in interning in the US. I, I knew that that is what I wanted to do because I wanted that experience to be there on my resume. 
but I also wanted to do something that was actually meaningful for my future life. Because if my future life is in India, I want to do something that's related to India. And so the internship was the perfect opportunity because I learned a lot about Indian states, about the energy requirements that Indian states have while being in America. And I never knew about these things before. I never thought about these things living in Delhi. I never thought about the Delhi electricity board or you know things like that. And sitting in America, I was able to get a grasp on all of these, these issues, which was really fascinating. And so for me, you know, working and studying in the US uh, was great in terms of the academics I was exposed to. Because it's, it's, you really meet fantastic people, you meet fantastic professors, and the degree you get at the end of it makes it all worthwhile. Not being in your home country, being away. For me, it was worthwhile. I really thought that I learned a lot. I really grew as an individual. And it made me also realize that I'm ready now to go back home. That if that's what my destiny said, you know, has for me, then I'm ready to go back home. Because I think I can really... Uh, perhaps reverse the brain drain that is happening to India right now. I think a lot of us are, uh, you know, graduating, getting jobs abroad. And that's, and that is the ideal still to start working abroad first and then perhaps come back home at a later date. But I'm someone who, who is always homesick. And so I wouldn't mind going back earlier. And I think my time abroad has really made me a better person, exposed me to new ideas made me think about the world differently outside of the safe, the safe sheltered cocoon that I grew up in with my family in Delhi. And so I learned a lot. And um, I think it's, it's, it's a difficult question to answer, but I hope I've given you a gist of some of the emotions uh, that this question evoked in me. I think you've captured it perfectly because as I say in my book and many other writers have said so as as well uh, who write on about that sort of experience of leaving home, uh, that it's not just about embracing the new place that you go to, but it's an opportunity to step away from that comfort zone and the familiarity of one's own homeland to have that separation and distance and sort of unlearn and relearn things uh, about uh, the home that you've also left behind. Uh, so I think that that's what you just described as very profound. So taking it right back to your original journey, you know, this show is, uh, one of my hopes for this show is that we're really going beyond the obvious and uh, trying to understand people and their journeys. So I want to come back to your personal story. Now, you know, Indian students go abroad, as we know, for many different reasons. Many have always assumed they would go abroad. Others like me were what I call an accidental international student. What was your story? Very briefly, share with us, what was the original inspiration? I think growing up, um, I was always encouraged to look beyond home. Um, I, I'm not a first-generation college graduate, nor am I a first-generation international student. Um, my father and his father before him all went abroad. They all studied abroad. And so growing up, and I grew up in a joint family household, which is uh, you know, quite typical for families back home in India. 
And growing up, I was always told these amazing stories about life as a university student abroad. My dad would tell me about his time uh, studying in Germany and how he was the manager of the local McDonald's and how he became fluent in German. Uh, my grandfather, my, my grandparents, you know, they met, they met abroad and they fell in love on a university campus in England. And so for me, that kind of shaped a lot of what I thought about. I mean, my family existed because of the experiences they had abroad. Uh, my grandparents wouldn't have gotten married. They wouldn't have had their children if they hadn't met on a campus abroad. And so that was always kind of the aspiration. I wouldn't say my family told me that you have to go abroad, but they always told me these stories. And I'm sure they told me these stories with a purpose to encourage me to think in that direction. And naturally I did think in that direction. And when the time came to apply for universities, you know, you have to be extraordinarily gifted if you want to get into a top Indian university. And for me, the IITs were out of the question. I was not interested in STEM. Uh, I was interested in humanities and the St. Stephen's cutoff was extremely, extremely high. And so that was not an option either. And so I applied abroad and that's, that's where I landed up. So I think it was really a combination of factors. It really depends on how you're socialized as a child, think about higher education, think about your own education. And then I was also um, quite interested in perhaps, you know, maturing a little bit as an individual about perhaps experiencing something new, something different. And I wanted to, you know, go away for a few years and live on my own and see what life is on the other side. You know, I, I came to America a lot as a child to visit my mother's family who was settled in America. And so it was quite comfortable for me to come back to live there full time. I knew I had family support. Uh, I knew I had, uh, you know, in this globalized world, an airline ticket to go back home if there was a crisis or they, my family could come and see me if there was a crisis. And so I was quite comfortable with the idea of going abroad. And I have to say that I was privileged enough growing up to be afforded that opportunity to go abroad. Not everyone has that. And I am grateful for that. And I, and I, I just learned so much. I've experienced so many new cultures that I, I, I don't regret it for a moment. I think it was the best decision I ever made, uh, despite how homesick I tend to get. But I'll, I'll end by saying that coming abroad has taught me a lot of things, but it's also taught me how to cook uh, an Indian meal. And I'm grateful <laughs> for that as well. That's uh, that's uh, wonderful. And uh, not to mention uh, the fact that you are incredibly successful today, that a student who didn't make the cutoff at St. Stephen's College uh, <laughs> at the University of Delhi is today studying at Oxford University. So one that's wonderful, Aryan. Um, in closing, very, very quickly, um, I would now call, consider you to be a seasoned international student. You, you've now studied in the US, you're now studying in the UK. Very, very quickly, what advice would you offer for young students who want to study abroad the way you did? So two quick thoughts on that to close out uh, this, uh, this episode. I would say do your research and do your research extremely well. Get in touch with colleges beforehand. Don't wait for the last minute. I think sometimes I made the mistake of perhaps uh, not casting my net as wide as I would have hoped to. Apply to at least 10, 15 universities. 
and don't apply all to the Ivy League. Don't apply to all the best institutions. Have safety schools. Think practically when you're applying. And also think very hard about how you're going to fund these programs. Apply for scholarships in advance. Talk to your school. Talk to the campuses you want to apply to. Ask them, what scholarships do you have if I come to your campus? What am I eligible for? How can I make myself a better candidate to get these scholarships? Because at the end of the day, having a scholarship makes the experience so much more better because you have that financial burden removed. That's really important. And also think about how you're going to and what your goals are, what you want to achieve once you go abroad. Uh, do you want to achieve a good job, a good education? Take as many classes as you can. Uh, build up your resume. Meet people. Network. Um, you know, don't think that the job is the end goal. You don't get a job just by getting a degree. You also have to meet people. You have to talk to people. You have to learn things about the country you're in. So I think I've given you more than two uh, <laughs> but, points, but I think these are all really important points. Yes, two incredibly important points. Um, thank you, Aryan, for sharing your wisdom today. That's going to be so useful for campuses that host international students, but also for students aspiring to study abroad. You just listened to an episode of the Ed Up Worldwide podcast, and our guest today was Aryan De Rosario. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Rajika Bhandari. As always, please like us, follow us, and most importantly, subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. All information about the show and show notes are available on my website at www.rajikabhandari.com slash podcast. And if you'd like to delve more into the sorts of themes we talk about on this show, be sure to get a copy of my new book, America Calling, A Foreign Student in a Country of Possibility, available wherever books are sold and through my website. And also subscribe to my newsletter. See you next week when I will be back with another conversation about how education helps open our hearts and minds to the world.